Welcome to the Corporate Digital Marketing Podcast, where we examine the latest digital strategies, tactics, case studies, and technologies to help you drive your brand and your career to new heights. You'll hear from a range of marketers and industry experts to help you, the corporate marketer, to take advantage of your many digital opportunities. Here's your host, digital marketing expert, published author, and regular media presenter, Peter Applebaum. Hello and welcome to episode eight of the Corporate Digital Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Applebaum, and we have, as we always do, we have a treat in store today. We're speaking to the head of digital and media for L'Oreal, and Christoph, who you'll meet in a little while, is a great communicator, but just as importantly, has he has a lot to communicate about from a digital point of view. L'Oreal has shown a lot of commitment and foresight when it comes to incorporating digital marketing into the way they do their business, deal with their trade partners, and most importantly, engage with their customers or their end consumers. So I think you'll get a huge amount out of this. It was one of the longest interviews, in fact, the longest interview we've ever recorded on the podcast, but I think you won't be bored for a single second. I would like to welcome Christoph Emery from L'Oreal, who's the head of digital and media for Australia and New Zealand, and he has kindly joined us. So welcome, Christoph. Thank you. We appreciate this opportunity to be with you today. Fantastic. And we also are joined by the TKS Director of Digital Strategy, Susan Workner, who is particularly interested in being involved in this podcast, given that she is a fan of L'Oreal products. Welcome, Susan. Thank you very much. Very happy to be here and be excited to chat to Christoph, actually. Indeed. Okay, so Christoph, if we can uh, just briefly, what's your background? We've, we've, we can obviously look at what you've done from on the LinkedIn and, and we'll have that uh, on our show notes. But just briefly, what's your background leading up to your position now? So around 16 years ago, I started at uh, Lancome, which is part of the L'Oreal Group in Paris as an intern. Uh, and I discovered the world of beauty and the uh, industry in general. I really loved it, but I also wanted to uh, travel and discover the world. So uh, combining that uh, with uh, my uh, personal ambition and um, uh, professional goals, I ended up uh, in Australia working uh, in marketing and focusing mainly on digital marketing for Renault, the car manufacturer. Uh, a few years later, I uh, moved agency side to become a specialist and expert in uh, digital uh, media buying for Zenith Optimedia, which is part of the Publicis Group. Uh, and then I was basically called back uh, to um, uh, focus on, on beauty at L'Oreal when they created this role uh, to act accelerate their digital transformation around four years and a half ago. Uh, and since then, uh, I've been privileged to basically drive uh, the change internally uh, for the business, uh, accelerate uh, our uh, digital goals, uh, and make sure that we transform the business uh, to meet the new consumer requirements uh, in today's world, which is about um, meeting their beauty needs, but at the same time, uh, engaging with them in the commission channel that they embrace, which are primarily uh, the new digital channels. Okay, and that's actually one of the questions we're going to be asking you later in the podcast, and that is, is there across-the-board support within L'Oreal for digital initiatives? But we can wait. We can wait to hear the answer mm-hmm. to that. So what I'm going to ask a very general, broad question, but I think it is relevant to, the, to framing our conversation. And what are the challenges and opportunities in the beauty industry overall, not just from a digital point of view? So overall for the industry, the main challenge is how to uh, universalize beauty. Uh, and I will explain explain a bit more that concept. Uh, L'Oreal is the global leader in beauty because we have product and brands covering absolutely all the different segments of the market. Uh, And our goal is really to try to understand what beauty means uh, for each of uh, our consumers and then deliver the right products and services for them to achieve uh, their beauty needs. That's uh, what we uh, mean by uh, universalization of of beauty as uh, opposed to uh, standardization of, of beauty. So really trying to understand uh, individual specific needs, uh, empowering um, our uh, offering uh, via technology and, and new product innovation uh, to enhance uh, those specific needs, but really try to um, empower each consumer to achieve their own beauty. So that's what we call the universalization of beauty, uh, and we uh, simplify that concept 
uh, under our signature of L'Oreal Beauty for All. So trying to help consumers to define what beauty means for them and then delivering the right product and services for them. The challenge um, in this ambition is that uh, once you uh, define uh, beauty for uh, each single individual, that you manufacture and distribute and market the relevant products uh, for those um, individual consumers, uh, you end up with a massive diversity and complexity in uh, our offering. So today in Australia and New Zealand, we have more than 4,500 different products. So you can imagine that when you walk into Priceline or Chemist Warehouse or uh, dep the department stores like Maya, David Jones, or uh, the selective channels like Meka or, or, or Sephora, you, you are faced with a huge diversity of products. Uh, so if you truly want to deliver uh, beauty for all. Uh, the goal is uh, not just to deliver the product, but also educate consumers on how to use the product and uh, provide them with new uh, services and tools uh, to um, achieve their own beauty uh, and complement uh, the product offering uh, via tools that helps to understand um, how to use them and, and which one are, are really the, the, the right one for each consumers. Mm. Well, I think you picked the right industry because obviously, Christoph, over the last 10 years, um, the beauty and cosmetics industry has actually grown while many have contracted. So according to the Huffington Post, they said this was due uh, to the internet. So I just want to get your thoughts on this and what is the impact um, have you found on activities in terms of the beauty industry and uh, why it has grown? So I would say that the key driver for the beauty industry, and not uh, in the past 10 years, but almost forever, is education. Uh, and driving beauty education at mass is the best way to drive uh, a good understanding of the products. Uh, and if consumers understand the product, the potential benefit for themselves, it will uh, indirectly drive more purchase uh, and more um, recurrent purchase of, of those products. Uh, it's also uh, a way uh, to drive um, awareness about uh, new trends. So what internet has changed uh, over the past uh, 10 years or a bit more is um, first uh, giving us an opportunity to have uh, a more tailored uh, education process for uh, beauty. Uh, so we launched um, new YouTube channels to educate consumers on hair trends, how to achieve new looks. We've done the same for makeup. Um, we have a huge amount of content uh, to educate on skincare that is available online, either on our brand website, uh, through mobile applications. Uh, as we know that uh, consumers are now uh, more, more than 50% of the internet consumption is on mobile. So we've uh, created platforms that are available on those devices, uh, all the YouTube channels, the, all the Facebook uh, brand accounts, uh, all the Instagram uh, global brand accounts. Uh, all of that uh, is a fantastic way to um, not only massify uh, beauty education, but also uh, to leverage data to personalize that education message. And that will be, to me, uh, the key um, uh, benefit of, of Internet. Um, and then the second aspect is that the social media revolution uh, and the culture of the selfie has totally changed how consumers uh, behave and socialize uh, among themselves. Um, and when you are in the context of um, there's a certain emphasis on um, marketing ourselves uh, in the social media environment, um, any means uh, to improve how you look uh, and, uh, and improve improve your, your uh, branding in a way, your own personal branding in the social media environment uh, will play in favor of um, supporting the use of makeup, uh, looking better via skincare or hair care and hairstyle. Um, so that to me, the, social, the expansion of social media, the rise of Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and all the different social media network, uh, the rise of the culture of the selfie has been uh, a key driver uh, for the expansion of the beauty industry uh, because it's um, really highlighting the need to look after yourself and look your best, uh, not just in the physical world, but also in your uh, new uh, digital uh, environment. So the selfie culture has really been a great driver and leads into my next question, which is your stated goal globally is to have 2 billion customers by 2020. Well, firstly, are you on track to achieve that objective? It's only, what, three and, three and a bit years away, three and a half years away. 
So that's probably a question for uh, our global CEO. So uh, I might not necessarily fully okay. answer uh, <laughs> the question, mm -hmm. uh, but I will basically say mm -hmm. that we've made uh, significant progress, uh, in particular in the emerging markets, uh, where uh, you have um, uh, large volumes of consumers. Uh, we had um, big expansion in, in India and in China in particular. Um, we've also uh, increased uh, consumption for our products uh, in developed countries like uh, Australia and New Zealand uh, by uh, emphasizing uh, a lot on uh, e-commerce. Uh, and when we talk about uh, e-commerce, uh, it's really focusing on uh, our e-retailer partnerships, so the existing uh, brick and mortar clients who distribute our products, who have for the past uh, six years in particular uh, launched uh, e-commerce platforms in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, so the likes of uh, Priceline Online, um, Chemist Warehouse Online, Calls Online, Woolworths Online, uh, Divisions Online, Mayo Online, uh, Maker Online, Sephora Online, etc. Uh, all of traditional uh, brick and worked closely with them to accelerate that uh, expansion, uh, which is a, a, a fantastic way to reach out to potentially new customers uh, and also drive more uh, frequency of purchase. And today, when we look at um, the growth of our business, um, e-commerce is definitely one of the key drivers for incremental growth on top of um, the natural forecast uh, growth for the business it's actually e-commerce is, is very much front and center particularly with amazon's uh, launch later this year in australia uh, a lot of organizations are saying oh we want to sell our products online um, but that obviously you have identified i guess the the consumer experience via going via your established bricks and mortar trade partners who have their own online stores is uh, and obviously we're going to get to your app a little a little bit later, which has the ability to buy. Uh, is your strategy to always go through your third party trade partners from an e-commerce perspective, or to to do it yourselves? Yeah, it is our main priority. Uh, we've developed our own e-boutiques for certain brands. Uh, we launched uh, Lancome.com.au. Uh, roughly three, four years ago. Uh, it was followed by uh, killers.com.au, uh, then clarisonic.com.au, and just a couple of weeks ago, we launched George Armani Beauty, um, and that will be followed by um, a few other luxury brands. Um, but the big bulk of our e-commerce focus is really uh, on uh, our existing uh, e-retailers, uh, clients we've been working with for many, many years. Uh, and for the past uh, five years, we've also expanded our partnerships uh, with what we call the pure players, such as Adobe Beauty, which is um, probably our, our longest standing partner in uh, this region, uh, but also RY and, and a few other pure players. Uh, and, and they've achieved um, fantastic growth over the past uh, few years on the back of uh, really nailing the consumer experience, providing sophisticated marketplaces for consumers to shop uh, in beauty, uh, and that position themselves uh, quite strongly um, with the arrival of uh, Amazon, as you mentioned. What I love about what you've, you've just been outlining, Chris, off is that you're doing exactly what a lot of corporates or, or, or established organizations and, and gosh, uh, L'Oreal and, and your brands have been around for many decades, is that looking at digital and, and the internet as a huge opportunity to expand your businesses, get new customers, get closer to your customers using those variety of channels, be it e-commerce through to social media, um, mobile, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that that is where... A, I hope that one of the benefits of this podcast is that organizations can see, wow, this is a huge opportunity as opposed to a possible threat to the way we do business, which I, which is exciting. Yeah. Definitely. And I think uh, following on from there, I know that, as I mentioned before, I'm a, a loyal L'Oreal customer. So I have been buying your creams, face creams and, and products for a long time, makeup as well. Um, normally, I must say, I buy it from Priceline and Chemist Warehouse, which I do find has a lot of uh, competitive has a lot of uh, price competition. Um, where do you find, I know that there's also Sephora and Mecca. First of all, is L'Oreal available through Sephora and Mecca and those cosmetics as well at the moment or not? Yes, definitely. Maybe what I should explain a bit more is the structure of the L'Oreal group. So often there's a confusion amongst consumers and um, and people in the industry in general. Uh, L'Oreal is not just uh, one brand. The L'Oreal Paris uh, brand is our historical brand. But over time, um, it has become a group of, of brands covering absolutely all the different beauty segments. Uh, L'Oreal Paris is still our biggest um, uh, brand um, and uh, is available in uh, the 
mass distribution, such as uh, Coles, Woolworths, Priceline, Chemist Warehouse, uh, the pharmacy network, etc., as you, as you mentioned. Uh, but when it comes to um, the selective distribution channels, um, like Sephora and, and Mecca, uh, we have a portfolio of 15 brands uh, that are part of what we call the luxury division. Uh, which is the second largest uh, division uh, in uh, our business in Australia. Uh, then we have a portfolio of brands for air salons, part of the professional product division. And finally, we have a pool of brands for pharmacies only, uh, called the active uh, cosmetic division. So those brands have active ingredients in their formulas, hence uh, the terminology uh, of active cosmetic. Mm. And so with those, so you obviously have a huge number of uh, distribution partners and you're looking to do your own sales, obviously, online. Um, Where do you actually find the most, uh, you generate the most revenue across all your lines? Or do they Uh, I would say that it it, it differs and um, you will not necessarily look at it as um, competing each other, but more as complementing each other. And at the core of all of it is the consumer. Uh, and we we need to really look at <clears throat> our distribution channel as uh, different levels of services and uh, consumers uh, are always at the center to decide basically which channel they prefer uh, and uh, and each retailer uh, are developing a certain experience that will please uh, the consumers in, in different ways. Uh, so our main focus is, is really to uh, work and tailor the experience with each uh, single retail partner, uh, but at the end of the day, really deliver what the consumer wants. So when they want to shop directly from the brands, uh, we are uh, slowly uh, offering that uh, for certain brands, uh, but most of the experience remain in partnership with uh, uh, distributors who um, have uh, the expertise and the historical knowledge uh, to achieve that. Uh, if I take an example with uh, Mecca, uh, we've just launched uh, as a, an online exclusive uh, the new Urban Decay palette a couple of uh, days ago, and it has been an absolute um, success, um, uh, breaking all the records in terms of sales. So for us, it was a, a key learning uh, to show that um, uh, when we de- deploy uh, an exclusive for a certain uh, client and have um, an execution that is uh, dedicated to online uh, for a launch uh, that uh, can find its audience uh, in uh, this uh, channel. Uh, This can be uh, very, very very, uh, effective, uh, but it's not necessarily the answer uh, to each of um, our business challenges. It's not necessarily the answer uh, to all the different product launches that we have to manage. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. I actually just discovered Urban Decay on a recent European trip in Nice. I went um, and bought Urban Decay Foundation, which I didn't know about because it doesn't actually have SPF. And I was looking for something that did not have SPF, but I didn't realise it was part of L'Oreal, actually. So I guess there's a lot of customer education, I think. um, And that leads me just to another question, Christoph. So how do you uh, track to make sure there's not can- there's not any cannibalization across all these different ba- brands and segments is there a way that you can track that so we have a centralized uh, reporting um, structure hosted in a platform called Datorama, where we capture uh, all our uh, marketing activities uh, and uh, we try to mitigate um, competition uh, internally. At the same time, there's also a a reasonably healthy uh, level of competition internally, uh, where um, uh, the brands uh, will be uh, sometimes uh, communicating with the same uh, consumer. Uh, But that's also to maintain the need from a consumer perspective to have offering coming from different brands and each brand have their own uh, brand territory uh, for uh, the customer experience, but also in terms of uh, product offering. So we we have a, a certain level of internal healthy uh, competition uh, that we don't necessarily want to uh, totally remove. Uh, actually, we uh, still encourage it uh, in a very healthy fashion. Okay, so actually with a portfolio of 32 international brands, talking about brands, do you use digital strategies and platforms primarily to localize the customer experience both in Australia and New Zealand? Or I realize obviously there, there are a number of customer touch points, but is digital a central and primary part of that customization? Definitely. Uh, digital has become uh, the number one priority uh, for the past uh, four years. Um, first, it will start with the brand website, uh, which is at the center of the digital ecosystem and overall marketing ecosystem for the brands. Uh, and then it uh, branches out uh, into 
uh, YouTube channel. So we recently relaunched the uh, L'Oreal Paris uh, YouTube channel and uh, Maybelline uh, one as well, uh, which are uh, now uh, sources of content uh, for consumers in Australia. Uh, to learn about new trends, uh, to learn about new techniques uh, to use the products. Uh, and we are managing those channels as a um, uh, little um, uh, TV network where uh, we uh, distribute uh, very regularly uh, content uh, that update consumers uh, on how to use the products. And I guess central to that, and we talked about this a little earlier, is there, is there across-the-board support within L'Oreal for the digital initiatives from the, from the top down? Very strongly. So it starts at the global level, uh, where we have our, our global CEO uh, defining uh, the vision and the ambition for the business. And we are still today uh, under the plan for 2020, uh, where we are very uh, with very clear uh, objectives. Uh, these directions are um, re-emphasized by, um, in his team, uh, the global chief digital officer, who not only report directly into uh, the global CEO, but also sit at the board of the company. Uh, then at the regional level, our regional uh, leads uh, are voicing uh, the overall directions of the business. Uh, and when it comes down to the country level, the country manager have a strong focus on, on digital too. So at uh, the most senior level of the organization, uh, whether it's at the global level, regional level or country level, there's a, a very um, a big push and support uh, for uh, digital initiatives, which then makes it um, quite um, effective at my level to um, uh, drive the change and, and get uh, the support of the um, local uh, mancom uh, and, um, and 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 push the agenda across the organization so would would uh, digital sit within marketing or is it a, or, or customer experience or is it a separate standalone division uh, so it's both um, a separate and integrated um, organization within the organization uh, we have at the corporate level a team of high-level experts in uh, media with a media director, in CRM with uh, a CRM director, uh, and the customer experience director to look after all the social media channels, uh, the call center, uh, and we have a big focus on, on e-commerce as well. Uh, then within the divisions, uh, you have uh, teams of digital experts, uh, especially in CRM, e-commerce, and content management uh, that are uh, fully part of uh, the uh, marketing teams um, and working very closely with both both um, marketing and brand teams uh, and the sales department too. So you obviously have a, a wonderful support across the organisation for digital overall. So what do you find is the most effective digital strategies that you've used? Um, I guess why have some worked and if there isn't any others, can you tell us why they haven't worked? So probably the best uh, success story today. It is uh, the L'Oreal Paris Makeup Genius that we launched a couple of years ago, which has achieved uh, 800,000 downloads uh, in Australia and New Zealand. Wow. So that, uh, that, that's your app? That's your mobile app? Definitely, yes. Uh, and that's uh, an opportunity to have in your pocket uh, a beauty advisor. Uh, the idea of this application was to um, uh, make available uh, a form of service uh, to everyone uh, available on, on your mobile, uh, the opportunity to get advice on what are the new uh, makeup trends, uh, get an understanding of um, is that trend suited to me, so offering a virtual trial uh, within the application uh, and then offering how-to videos to achieve those specific looks and ultimately closing the loop uh, with purchase as we have a click to buy uh, going out to Priceline uh, and you can buy either the individual product uh, or the whole look at once. Uh, if you are in the store environment, you also have the option uh, to scan uh, the code bar of the product uh, to immediately uh, virtually try on those products. So the app uh, is leveraging augmented reality. Uh, and the way it works is that uh, when you are facing your screen, uh, the app will identify 64 different uh, points on your uh, face. Uh, and uh, as you move uh, around, um, uh, looking at your mobile as if it was a mirror, uh, it will uh, keep positioning the makeup in the right spots um, and, and really give this amazing experience uh, showing you how you would look like if you were to uh, really try uh, one of those products uh, in a virtual way. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, I think, look, I tried it the other day. I thought it was fantastic. I was playing with it myself and I think it's an amazing app actually and so quite you, fun. You, you like the cat's eye look? I did like the cat's eye look. I thought that was very, <laughs> and very And what colour lipstick suited you? Susan? Oh, I think the purple. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it's fantastic. I, I can see why you had, you know, literally hundreds of uh, thousands of downloads for it. So how do you think the app is going to change the way you do business and have your retail partners been supportive of the app? How do you feel that they see the app helping their sales? So the the app is um, becoming an example of how we can have a fully comprehensive experience from the actual product discovery to uh, the virtual trial to the act, uh, the learning about the how-tos and the actual purchase. Uh, it's been very well received by both consumers and uh, our clients, so the retailers, uh, and in particular by uh, Priceline, who are... Um, uh, so an opportunity to, uh, for their own customers, create um, a, a better experience uh, by um, linking the experience in store uh, to the actual purchase within the app. Um, we uh, have um, a very strong partnership with Priceline, but in the future, you can imagine that potentially uh, the shopping experience will expand to other retailers. Um, but at this stage, um, uh, we are really uh, uh, focusing on Priceline. Mm. That's interesting. I want to ask you, because I, I'm, as I mentioned, I buy my L'Oreal products from Priceline. It's something over the years I was thinking about when we're going to interview Christophe is uh, Priceline, for example, I'm one of their customers. I receive their uh, emails from them and coupons. If I've spent enough money, I have a 5 or $15 discount. I've never received or never been asked by L'Oreal at any of my touch points to give you my email address. So I'd be interested to know how do you see email marketing in all of the different activities you're uh, currently uh, working on? So you're very right. Um, traditionally, L'Oreal is uh, a B2B, so business-to-business -business player, uh, where we primarily manufacture and market uh, products that we sell to um, retailers who then sell to, sell to the end users. Um, we are trying to uh, build a closer relationship with end users, uh, which is not necessarily what we've done, historically speaking. So this is fairly new uh, territory uh, for us. But the opportunity there is uh, by having a, a more direct relationship with consumers to have a better understanding of what are their needs uh, and, and better communicate with them on uh, beauty education in particular. So we have embarked on this uh, journey to um, build our CRM platform. So around two years ago, uh, we started the partnership with Salesforce in Australia. Uh, and today we have uh, achieved to build one uh, customer database uh, across all our brands in the country. Uh, and uh, we start to have a more uh, engaging and, and personalized communication with users. Um, the way we uh, capture data uh, is um, very, very um, open. Um, and it's primarily uh, through the brand websites uh, when consumers proactively uh, join uh, the database and ask to receive uh, more information from the brands. Uh, so there's... Um, any form of uh, incentivization. It's, it's primarily um, uh, based on consumers who proactively uh, want to be uh, informed, uh, which creates a very loyal uh, and, um, and truthfully um, uh, connected uh, consumer base for our CRM program. And today we have close to 1 million uh, consumers in this market uh, who are part of our databases across uh, the different brands. Um, so that's already a significant number uh, of consumers to engage with on a regular basis. So you have a million opted in email addresses for customers in Australia? Correct, yes. That is awesome. And one, just one more thing, uh, you've been able to segment who, the, who and what those, who, the, who those customers are and what they purchase and what their interests are, or is it just email addresses, names and postcodes? Uh, so the goal is really to deliver a personalized communication over time. Um, so we are uh, over time uh, segmenting the different databases. Um, but as you can imagine, it's a, it's a journey uh, that you have to take. And um, the customer uh, journey. We are exactly, <laughs> and we are on, uh, progressing well. But there's uh, still um, lots of work to do in that space. It's a graph. A million uh, opted-in emails is a pretty damn good foundation mm, i must say I to start think so. so i guess from my point of view someone who hasn't visited l'oreal's website and hasn't signed up but i obviously buy the product a lot would you be looking at maybe on pack promotions to entice customers like myself i'm sure there's not just myself many others who may not have visited the sites but still buy your product so would you look to capture my email through product pack promotions for example uh, definitely. So the first priority was uh, to build the infrastructure 
uh, and then over time uh, we'll move into uh, different ways of uh, acquiring uh, new uh, people to the database and then having a, a more engaging uh, form of communication with them uh, and more personalized uh, form of communication as well. Okay, and in our very first podcast, we spoke to Tony Karras, who's the marketing director of Weight Watchers, and Weight Watchers, like L'Oreal, has been around for several decades and built their business on face-to-face engagement with uh, people who are interested in losing weight. Your business has uh, obviously had that face-to-face interaction with beauty consultants, primarily in department stores and other shops like that, stores like that. Do you see digital complementing or over time replacing that personal touch? It is definitely complementing uh, and not necessarily uh, replacing. Um, I will take an example that uh, brings it to life uh, in a very good way. We launched uh, a test for uh, Lancome in the US uh, to customize uh, foundation for uh, our consumers in department stores. And the concept is called Le Teint Particulier, uh, which in French basically means uh, your own uh, personalized foundation products. And the way it works is that at uh, the counter, uh, the consumers uh, go through a consultation uh, with uh, the uh, beauty advisor. uh, And then um, the foundation is actually made in in store uh, using uh, digital technology uh, to deliver it uh, on the spot. This was um, quite successful in the US and we are now rolling out uh, in the UK and Canada. Uh, And that's a beauty service uh, is likely to come uh, in the future in our region uh, as well. So to me, that's a perfect example of um, how you combine uh, the uh, digital experience uh, and uh, the the touch points uh, with uh, our experts, the beauty advisors at point of sale. And leading on from those, uh, that point of sale, I've read that you use iBeacons. In many of your so it's actually levels. probably still um, a testing ground for, for us. Um, right. We, we um, have been um, considering that technology um, for a little while. Um, the uh, opportunity will uh, materialize itself uh, when we find the right um, uh, context uh, with the right uh, retailers to make it happen. Okay. Mm. Well, I do know uh, Westfield and Centre Group, um, Centre Group who are, and Westfield, both of them actually, uh, but certainly Centre Group that has the Australian New Zealand uh, retail centres, I believe they have implemented iBeacon technology in their centres already. So that could be a good opportunity to partner and test? Yes, um, I think so. Definitely. Mm, I think so. So with the um, fact you have 4,500 brands to focus on, um, how do you actually f- decide which one to focus your marketing efforts on? Is it by sales or market share or some other measure? So for um, the 4,500 different products that um, we focus on to really prioritize, um, we look at uh, the consumer first. It's really about uh, what consumers are looking for. Uh, This would will be what uh, determine uh, the prioritization. Uh, and uh, we uh, have a um, big intelligence unit around um, what are the beauty trends. Um, and our consumer inside departments uh, will uh, gather insights uh, from uh, traditional uh, research. But also, uh, we have a big focus on, on social listening, uh, on trends uh, rising uh, out of search. Uh, So we work very closely uh, with uh, Google and and Facebook to capture those trends. Uh, Then uh, it's looking at uh, our competition uh, to define what would be uh, the priorities because the competition can drive uh, a certain direction for the market as well. Uh, Innovation uh, from laboratories uh, can drive uh, the prioritization of the product planning. Um, retailers uh, can also uh, definitely influence uh, the prioritization of the product planning depending on um, what they want to achieve uh, for uh, their consumers in terms of consumer experience or complementarity with the rest of their uh, retail portfolio. Uh, We have a department called the category management team that uh, works very closely with the retailers uh, to define those uh, strategies. Uh, And then, of course, the profitability of the product uh, is a key element uh, prioritize and i know this is going to be quite a a big question but uh what does success look like from a digital point of view for l'oreal how how is how are your efforts measured and how are you i guess uh how is that success focused on from within the organization so we have a long list uh, of kpis and um, lucky you lucky you christopher (laughs) 
<laughs> just to keep it uh, interesting of and course. number focused. Of course. Um, uh, and we work very closely with external partners such as uh, our media agency, Cara and Abelium for Search. Uh, we have an independent auditing company uh, called Ebiquity. Uh, so we work with uh, lots of different external partners to try to uh, assess uh, uh, what is success um, in um, the marketing uh, uh, environment. Um, ultimately, it all goes back to um, how many sales uh, we drive, uh, but also uh, an even bigger ambition is, is to build uh, love brands. Uh, and that's our uh, ultimate ambition, uh, to deliver beauty for all and to have uh, love brands. So um, relationships with customers uh, and, and customers who uh, love um, engaging with our brands. How we, do we measure the love aspect? Um, uh, we tap a lot into um, social media metrics, uh, such as um, share of mentions of the brands, the sentiments uh, behind those uh, mentions, uh, and then the impact that it has uh, on our overall ecosystems in terms of uh, site visits, time spent on the site, um, etc. Okay, so talking about love brands, and that's, uh, that opens up a whole range of thoughts, obviously. But what is your ideal customer experience? And you may be there or you may be working towards there. And obviously, I know that's a combination of real world and digital. But what is, what is a L'Oreal customer's ideal experience? So potentially to bring it back to the example on uh, Urban Decay and the launch of their uh, new palettes uh, earlier this week with Mecca as an online exclusive. Uh, to me, that's a good um, example um, to illustrate uh, what success can look like um, to, uh, to build an effective digital uh, strategy. Um, Mecca basically built a platform that is uh, personalized. So when you visit the website, depending on what you've uh, done before, you will see different kind of content. So acknowledging uh, the user for who they are uh, and personalizing the experience in uh, the uh, e-shopping environments, uh, to me, is definitely uh, best practice. Uh, and then the, the strength of the loyalty program uh, was key to achieve the success of the launch of the Urban Decay Palette, uh, as uh, they made uh, that new product launch available first for uh, their tier one uh, pool of customers. Uh, so it's rewarding uh, loyal customers uh, with the opportunity to purchase first um, and do it in a, an environment where we know that uh, uh, the experience will be the best. Uh, so that's um, a good example on um, best practice, I would say, uh, currently uh, in the beauty industry. Well, you, uh, obviously, with digital, you've had years of experience now in the digital arena. So looking across uh, companies and organizations, uh, which, which organizations do you think do digital most effectively and why? Uh, I would say that, um, that you have a, a, a broad range of, of players who are, are doing quite well in that space. Um, the uh, opportunity for, for us has been in the past uh, five years uh, to change our perception. Uh, it's only for the past two, three years that we made it to the top 50 most innovative companies as measured by uh, PwC globally. Uh, and we made that... Um, we're speaking to PwC entry. next. We're speaking to PwC next for this podcast, Christoph. So there you go. Oh, excellent. Perfect timing. <laughs> Indeed. So we, we made it uh, to the, um, uh, the ranking, uh, particularly through the, the launch of the Makeup Genius uh, application, but also uh, through the broader focus on, on uh, digital activation. We launched the UV patch for La Roche-Posay, which is um, a patch that you wear on your skin uh, and that uh, would help you to measure your exposure to UV radiation to prompt you to apply uh, skin protection and, and sun care. Uh, we launched also uh, a brush at the last uh, innovation summit in Las Vegas uh, for Kerastas, uh, which has a radio sensor that um, helps you to send information to your mobile uh, on the health of your ha uh, hair uh, and provide advice on which type of uh, hair um, uh, care to use uh, to protect your hair. Uh, we've also launched uh, digital experiences in um, the retail environment for our brand Matrix. Uh, where when you go to the salon, you can try virtually on new hairstyles, uh, which is often the main barrier to try new colors uh, when you cannot see how you would look like uh, first. So it's uh, basically providing a tool to addresses to remove that kind of anxiety from uh, consumers to try new colors. So there's a whole range of um, uh, innovation that um, uh, has been uh, deployed and um, that has been um, contributing to the fact that now L'Oreal is perceived as um, a very innovative company in the world and uh, being part of that top 50 put us next to the likes of 
Apple and, and Google or, or Nike uh, and other players that um, uh, in the past were traditionally more associated to innovation. So uh, for us, it's um, uh, it's it's a great uh, recognition of the effort made uh, to change the game and and be part of that um, uh, tier one of uh, innovative companies in the world. So would you suggest that those are the companies that you see doing digital well, the Apples, the Googles of this world? Is that who you're? Is that really your um, aspiration to be as good as those and top of those? Uh, in terms of um, uh, consumer centricity, uh, definitely. Mm. And one other question I want to ask you, which I think would probably intrigue a lot of corporate marketers, uh, because I know that many companies now are using apps for various uh, different areas of their business. How long did it actually take you to develop the Makeup Genius app? Was it uh, shorter than expected? I imagine longer than expected. And how expensive was it? Uh, so it's uh, it's a very interesting uh, question because practically uh, it required uh, a strong internal focus first. Um, and uh, to give you the full background, basically every year in the US, uh, there's a competition open to any team uh, to participate, uh, to bring some new ideas. Uh, and uh, around three, four years ago, uh, the YSL team had the idea of creating a virtual mirror. This challenge was passed on to uh, what we call the digital beauty incubator, which is uh, a team focused on uh, innovation uh, based in New York as well. Uh, and they um, looked at uh, different uh, technologies to bring to life uh, this idea. Uh, and after doing some research, uh, they realized that we required external partnership to make it happen. Uh, and we ended up uh, collaborating with Image Metrics, which is the company that uh, powered the technology for the Benjamin Button movie with Brad Pitt, where he's getting older and younger. Uh, so playing in uh, the moving image uh, environment uh, where you have uh, a true uh, leverage of uh, augmented reality uh, and uh, making it um, uh, very, very, very uh, real. Uh, as you know, there's uh, a few other apps available that uh, don't necessarily give you a great experience. Uh, what is um, uh, an amazing success with Makeup Genius is that you really feel that you are uh, looking at yourself in front of uh, a mirror mm. and, and the makeup feels very real uh, on you. So the app also had to factor in different uh, type of uh, skin. Um, so there's more than 200 different skin types that uh, we're factoring into the app to give this um, true, real uh, experience feeling. Um, but the key learning uh, of that uh, is that uh, it took uh, a bit of time, of course, to develop. Um, uh, but the key reason for success was the internal collaboration. Uh, being humble about it as well and uh, collaborating with external experts to bring it to life. Uh, so being capable of um, uh, partnering and seeking uh, for external expertise to make it happen. Uh, and then in terms of rollout, um, uh, L'Oreal is very good as um, a product launch machine. Uh, and we've applied the same principles uh, to roll out uh, Makeup Genius, uh, which was launched as uh, a brand new product, uh, part of the Lord Paris uh, portfolio. Uh, and this happened at the Cannes Film Festival, which is a key time of the year uh, when we have um, all our brand ambassadors from around the world uh, coming to Cannes um, and having them playing with the app uh, around uh, two, three years ago uh, was a great platform to launch and then roll out uh, in all the different uh, countries. Well, you can't accuse L'Oreal of thinking small. That's for sure. <laughs> I mean, that's, and obviously anyone who hasn't tried uh, the Makeup Genius should. I have as well. I'm not ashamed to admit it. And it is quite extraordinary. It's one of the most amazing commercial or, or, or brand focused apps that I have ever seen in my life, which is incredible. But it's entertaining as well. As that's it, right. That's what I love about it. I it's think it's engaging, it entertaining. And, and, and look, I guess it helps that it is so, there's such an emotional connection with the with the brand and the product but that some brands may not have that and definitely won't have that but it's just incredible that, that you've had the initiative and the commitment to do that uh, christoph one of the the last we're getting towards the end of a fascinating conversation but one of the things that uh, we hear a lot lately is that customer experience is going to be more important than price by 2022. I don't know who said that, but it's like it's something that comes through quite a bit in the conversations we have on a regular basis. Do you found? Do you, have you found with all the many di digital initiatives that L'Oreal has has undertaken and is undertaking, that price is becoming less important? 
Uh, definitely, and that's to the core of uh, the L'Oreal business. Um, if you go back uh, to the 70s when we had the launch of our brand signature for Laura Paris, uh, Because I'm Worth It, uh, it's really going back to that uh, concept that um, consumers will be uh, ready to pay uh, a site premium uh, when uh, they have uh, the best quality products uh, and when they can access a, a technology uh, that makes a true change uh, in their beauty results. Um, so we definitely believe that um, uh, price matters, uh, but what matters the most is uh, the experience for the consumers and the result that they can achieve through the product that we are distributing. Well, that's fantastic news for brand marketers who are always trying to justify the premium of why why choose their branded product as, as opposed to cheaper alternatives. So Christoph, where do you see that digital marketing will be in five years, I realize five years is a long time in the future, but a lot of organizations like L'Oreal have been around for many, many decades. So five years in that context is not long. So do you have any predictions? It goes very fast indeed. Um, our big focus, and I will say uh, when we see the evolution of the technology, uh, media landscape, um, virtual reality and augmented reality will uh, continue being a big focus for us. And uh, when you think about what's going to change, uh, it will be uh, primarily driven uh, in that space as uh, the key publishers such as Google and Facebook start to roll out uh, this uh, technology at mass. So if you can start to communicate um, and uh, have augmented reality uh, uh, experiences uh, within those uh, mass scale um, communication network, uh, then you create a fantastic opportunity uh, for consumer engagement and, and beauty education. Okay. And final question. We ask all of our guests this. And just for people who are listening to this, as you have succeeded so much in digital, as has your organization, what are the top three tips you would give to other marketers who are also keen to succeed in digital? Uh, that's a, an interesting question to answer. Uh, I would say that uh, passion is uh, the number one driver uh, to um, be always focused on uh, what are the new trends, um, how consumers are, are involving in the marketplace, uh, how can we better connect with them uh, and provide more engaging experiences uh, has always been my number one uh, focus. And um, the second part is a reinvention. Uh, always uh, reinvent how we think and, and follow uh, the trends. Uh, and the third element is uh, simplicity. Uh, simplicity is uh, definitely key uh, to make it happen. Uh, often the danger in uh, digital marketing landscape is that uh, we have a language that is too complicated to be understood, uh, not just uh, by consumers or, or customers like retailers, but also internally uh, when we need to uh, drive the agenda uh, with a broader team of stakeholders. So simplifying our message and our ambition, making it uh, very concrete uh, for the business is absolutely uh, key uh, to uh, achieve uh, the end goal. Um, so in summary, passion, reinvention and simplicity. Well, would you use those three words for yourself as well, Christophe, in terms of your career uh, highlights, I guess, and success? Uh, yes, to some extent. Uh, I've um, been uh, lucky enough to um, uh, follow my passion for um, discovering the world and leaving my home country and uh, settling in Australia and becoming Australian and being very uh, proud of that. So there's an element of, uh, of passion and reinvention uh, into that. And um, I feel that I've achieved a lifestyle here that's um, maybe links back to simplicity in terms of um, uh, being very happy in the environment that I uh, live in uh, and um, uh, having reinventing my life, but in a way that um, uh, is um, uh, really uh, true to my uh, personality. Uh, and that's what I feel is, is uh, the simplicity of the situation. Well, Christoph, you've, you've achieved a record. This is the, the longest interview we've ever recorded on the Corporate Digital Marketing Podcast, I guess. And we could probably talk for another, we've t talked for 46 and a half minutes. We could probably talk for another two hours. There's so much to talk about. It's and also been the most fascinating. We thank you so much for the opportunity. <laughs> so, Christoph, Emery, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. And I'm sh there are many, many... Uh, lessons that anyone who listens to this will take away from it and uh look there are many many things that uh that, that l'oreal is doing that you have done personally from a corporate point of view that uh, people can learn from so i thank you for for what you've given us my pleasure thanks to you thank you christoph thank you christoph
Draw a breath, ladies and gentlemen. That was quite an incredible discussion with Christoph. As we said at the top of the podcast, there's a hell of a lot to talk about when it comes to L'Oreal. There are many organizations of the same size, if not bigger, that have not done anything as much as L'Oreal has done. You could argue that being in the beauty industry, there is a much greater emotional engagement with their brands than with others. And you would be right to a degree. But as we've heard, it also comes down to will. And I would like to thank... Susan Workner, our wonderful director welcome, of Peter. digital strategy, who is very much an important part of this because she knows things about the beauty industry that I will never know. So what are <laughs> well, your thoughts? <laughs> what Indeed. What are your thoughts, Susan? Well, I thought Christoph was fantastic. I mean, he's certainly in the right position and the right job and the right company. His passion, I think, was very obvious throughout the interview. But really, what I thought was fascinating was they're an incredibly large organization and yet from what uh, we've learned from the chat with Christoph that they do have different brands and different divisions and those brands will have a healthy as he mentioned it healthy competition between them to try and increase their share of uh, sales and, and customers so I guess one can think about the fact that the culture within Laurel must be quite entrepreneurial to allow them to have so many digital activities, so many different digital products or products, I should say, um, and brands that compete with each other. And yet they're still able to maintain the excitement and continually launch new brands for different channels. I think that's what was also very interesting, that they really have a multi-channel, multi-brand focus for such a large organization in the beauty industry. And digital is at the heart of everything they do now, not just because it's a channel, it's because of what digital can bring to the organization. And I think that's critical to anyone's thinking when it comes to planning what they're doing. It's not just, as we often have said on this podcast, it's not just about doing an app. It's not just about doing an email or a website. It really is incorporating into the your toolkit, your competitive toolkit as to how you're going to better engage with your customers and consumers, trade partners, et cetera, et cetera, and really get to help and really focus on how are these channels, strategies, and platforms going to help me to achieve my sales, marketing, and commercial objectives. Mm. No, I loved it. I loved the fact that he has really shown that organizations can see digital as an opportunity. It is a huge opportunity and they're certainly embracing it, whereas a lot of companies, even now, a lot of industries still, they still let's see it as a threat rather than a, an opportunity. And I think that's a shame. I think it shows that companies do need to embrace the internet and understand that they have to actually wade out into that water, social media included. I think a lot of companies still are shy of social media. I love the fact that Christoph said they, they monitor their social media so closely, dovetail that with website traffic so they can see what consumers are doing, where are they coming from, how are brands being affected by the digital strategies that they're using. One of the key advantages that I took from Christoph's discussion is that Digital is helping price to become less of an issue. What a huge opportunity and advantage that would be for any branded marketer. So I think that in and of itself, what do they say? If you can take just one good idea from a, a book, a podcast, a conference, it's worth the time that you've invested. I think that in and of itself is a wonderful way of looking at things. And so rather than saying, oh, they've got this and they've got all this access because in the beauty industry, it's got this, it's much more emotionally engaging. That is true depending on, on what you're marketing. But if you can look at it as a way to take price, not out of the equation, but certainly make it less important and much more important because you have engaged your customers more effectively, you've done a good job as a marketer. So Susan, thank you. You're welcome, Peter. You, thank you. That was a fascinating discussion. I was very pleased to be part of it. Thank you. And you brought the feminine touch, but also the critically important touch in this particular case, because we we're talking about the beauty industry, if I can say that. So thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Corporate Digital Marketing Podcast, and we will speak to you very soon. You just listened to the Corporate Digital Marketing Podcast. If you have any suggestions about what you'd like us to talk about in future podcasts, email us at info at tickyes.com. For the transcript, links from this episode and other information, go to www.tickyes.com and click on the podcast link. Have a great digital day.